Okay, let's pray, and then we'll look into God's Word today. So God, will I'll repeat what we read earlier, that we believe in the Holy Spirit. He's the Lord and giver of life. And even the ancient creed said he comes from the Father and the Son, so he's sent by you to speak to us. And we know that studying the Bible, understanding the Bible, or hearing what you're saying to us, God, is impossible without your sent one, the Holy Spirit, working in our lives, in our hearts, and in our ears. We ask this all uh, in Christ's name that we can hear him. Ask this all in his name. Amen. All right, I have some times on the screen. And these are all times of significant world-changing events, all right? Anybody, and it kind of fits with Memorial Day a little bit, but 2.10 a.m. or 2.30 a.m., anybody? Wild guess. Germany, 1961. Berlin Wall went up, all right? Changed changed kind of the whole east-west tension, all right? I'll skip 2.45 a.m. because nobody's going to know that at this point. 4.15 a.m., Again, think war, D-Day. Think uh, June, D-Day. It was uh, uh, four, four U.S. soldiers landed on the beaches of Normandy, started off the D-Day invasion. Five o'clock a.m. This goes back a few hundred years to 17-something. 1775. The British landed, starting the independent, War of Independence, five o'clock. 8.10 a.m., another war thing, kind of a war thing. This one might be easier. I think Hawaii. Pearl Harbor, 8.46, most of us were alive for this one. Twin Towers, all right. Now I'll go back to 2.45 a.m. Nobody can even guess on this. The only one who would probably care would be me. It's when my wife was born. So <laughs> 2.45 a.m. in Akron, Ohio. Um, I saw that on her, I was looking for something else the other day, and I saw it on her birth certificate, and I was like, oh, I didn't know that. She was born at 2.45 in the morning. World changer for me, all right? So all these events, maybe not my wife being born. Uh, for me, it was a, a tur- turning point. All these events were turning points in history. I haven't got 9 o'clock yet. I'll do that in a second. So whether it's a War of Independence, um, Twin Towers, D-Day, um, Normandy, all those were significant a time on the clock. And these, there's a book actually called Chronologia. Chronologia. It's a book, it's a history book where it's 24 chapters split into 24 hours of the day. And every chapter they, they go just through times, significant things in history that happen. Like I think Einstein is one of the things. So all these different times. But these are ones I picked because they, they're all kind of like the world changed afterwards. All right. Whether it was all those, you know, it was the life was this way. This something happened at this time that started something changing in this this way, all right? Now, would anybody want to guess what 9 o'clock is? It's not when I was born. So that world didn't really change a whole lot. It's actually in the Bible. All right? 9 o'clock is when Pentecost happened. It's when the Holy Spirit came down, and uh, and we'll read it in a second here, but 9 o'clock in the morning on... The day of Pentecost, which we know was a Sunday, and I'll explain on that, is when the Holy Spirit descended on these 120 or so believers, and the world was never the same. I'll even say the universe was never the same after that point. So yeah, the, the war and the Twin Towers, the independence in Normandy, those things are all like life-changing things, but 9 o'clock in the morning is when something happened in Jerusalem 
2,300 or so years ago, and life has never been the same around the world, and it never is the same for us, all right? So today is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, the, go to the next slide there, Paul. Pentecost Sunday. So Pentecost, Pente is 50. So I think about Pentagon, five-sided figure, so Pentecost is 50. Let me give you a little context of why we, what, what's significant about Pentecost as it applies to Acts chapter 2. So Pentecost Sunday, um, in the Old Testament, Pentecost was celebrated. It was, it was 50 days after they had been liberated from Egypt. So the, the Jewish uh, term for it is, they call it the Feast of Weeks. You may have seen somebody, you know, it's a Feast of Weeks, because the weeks are seven days plus one was the day they celebrated their freedom from slavery. So it was an Old Testament thing. The day of Pentecost was Old Testament. It was, it was fifth, seven weeks plus one day after the Passover, when they actually left Israel. So it was called Pentecost Sunday. Um, and we know from the Bible it always was on a Sunday. It was always the seven weeks and a day after the Sabbath. Sabbath is Saturday. So for years and years and years, the Jewish people would have celebrated uh, Pentecost. They didn't celebrate Acts 2, but they celebrated Pentecost. And it was a reminder to them of freedom. And it was an expectation of what God has done, but also an expectation of what he will do. So um, lock in your head that expectation of what God has done, what he's going to do. Freedom, because they were celebrating their freedom from the Israelites. And it also had to do with harvest. Because it was like seven weeks plus a day after harvest. They would also kind of celebrate. It was all kinds of, but the main thing was the whole idea of freedom. The celebrating of freedom. So every year, from the Old Testament on, they would celebrate Passover. They would celebrate the Feast of Weeks. They would celebrate Passover, the Feast of Weeks. Feast of Weeks was seven weeks plus one day after Passover. So that was kind of an ingrained pattern. So this event in Acts chapter 2 happened 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. So it's after, after the death resurrection that weekend. But it's a, it's a, it was the day of Pentecost. Jesus died around on Passover, right? So it's a similar kind of uh, connection. So... If you remember, if you were here last week, 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus appeared. He was with the disciples for those 40 days teaching them. And he told them, don't go anywhere. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the gift I'm going to give you. All right? So again, there's a sense of expectation. And the Jewish people with the Old Testament, the Pentecost, they, were, they counted the days till Pentecost. Like somebody in my son's getting married, not this son, the other son, is getting married in three weeks. They count the days till they get married. Kids count the days till Christmas. The Jewish people would count the days till Pentecost. So Jesus tells them, wait, kind of expectation, wait for the gift my, my, that I told you about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The disciples probably still didn't get it. They didn't get a lot of things still. So, and they didn't know they were going to be waiting 10 days. He just said, go back to Jerusalem and wait. They didn't know all the way it was going to cut and paste and mirror the image of Old Testament Passover and Pentecost. They didn't know that. So they go back to Jerusalem and they wait 
And then the day of Pentecost, that Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and we know it's 9 o'clock or something we'll read, this is what happens. So just leave this screen up here, uh, right, Paul? I'll just, let me just read this. So this is 9 o'clock, Sunday morning, the Sunday of Pentecost, um, from Acts chapter 2. So just listen, it and, and again, I said this before, try to imagine yourself being there. So um, maybe, maybe we're in the, the, the room, there people think there may be 100, 120 or so, and these are people who 50 days earlier had seen Jesus crucified. Many of them had abandoned him, the disciples especially, failed him. Then they saw the resurrection, saw evidence of the resurrection, saw Jesus many times. The Bible said he taught them many times. And then he left. They saw him ascend to heaven. So again, like I said last week, this is kind of weird, a little bit weird meter stuff. Weird meter like supernatural. But the Bible tells us this is all how it happened. So they saw him ascend and they, they heard him say, go wait. And if I'm one of the people there, I'm like, how long are we going to wait? That's why I would have asked Jesus. I'm sure they asked each other, how long are we going to wait? I don't know. He just said, wait. So it's not like they sat in the room for 10 days and didn't do it. And they probably went about their business and prayed and ate meals and stuff like that. But it wasn't like they were just sitting there. But they were waiting in Jerusalem. He said, don't go anywhere. So this is what happens. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. 120 or so. Suddenly... There was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Okay, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to keep going in a second. So you got wind and fire and tongues and noise and it's like again this i'd love to see how steven spielberg would depict this whole thing but again it happened it was a supernatural invasion um so these 120 people have these what looks like tongues of fire hanging above their head and they start speaking languages they've never learned at that time there were devout jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. So religious Jews, they were there, they lived there, some were, might have been there for the, the, the feast. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, the wind, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So there were Jewish people who had from every, many nations who had come back to Jerusalem so the noise must have been loud enough that it created a commotion like a car accident might create or a siren down the street. But something, something was significant, and they came running. So we're, now we're assuming these people must be outside, or they must be in a place where it was, people could hear and see. And these people were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are, are all from Galilee. That was the disciples. And Galilee was kind of a derogatory place to be from, all right? These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya, Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs. 
And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. So again, if you just stop for a second, this international group of people, the Jewish people, devout Jews, they weren't like skeptics, they were devout Jews. They all of a sudden hear these Galileans, and when you think hear Galileans, it was looked down upon. They were typically uneducated. So these are uneducated people that are speaking all these foreign languages in ways that these people can understand them talking about what God has done. So, pretty incredible event. How can this be? What can this mean? But the others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk. That's all. So, how can this be? These are devout people asking, how can this be? Something is happening that's supernatural. They heard this noise, this rushing wind. The tongues of fire may have still been on these people, and they're speaking clearly foreign languages they've never learned about God to people who are like, how can this be? The way some people might even reply to Christians today, well, they're just drunk. They're just, something's wrong with them. They're just drunk, that's all. Because the Bible says that they were mocked. They're just drunk. Because trying to make sense of supernatural things, really only have... <laughs> Really, only have a couple options: either ask what does this mean, or something's crazy. And anytime you experience or might encounter anything that God's doing in your life, the Holy Spirit telling you something, some significant event, you might even think, "Is this God, or is this crazy?" That's legitimate. So they—they—that's all. They're just drunk. All right. Now, this is uh, the right. This is how Paul responds to that. And this is where we get to the nine o'clock in the morning, or Peter. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles, and shouted to the crowd. So we don't know how big the crowd was. We do know 3,000 people became Christians, so it was a large crowd. Maybe 5,000, let's just say that. Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. And then Paul, Peter said, It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Is much too early for that. As, 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 as if it was okay if they got drunk later in the day, right? But 9 o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. And the Bible, in, in the, uh, the actual language, it says the third hour of the day, because the Jewish people would count, they would count based on the sunrise, so the sunrise is assuming at 6. So, but it's 9 o'clock in the morning. And Peter says, they're not drunk. It's, it's confusing. It's, the text says people were amazed, they were perplexed, they were bewildered. And it's just so, so they're trying to figure out what's going on. And Peter says, they're not drunk. And he says, here's what's happening. And let me just read this. This is, this is where Peter quotes from the passage we read at the start of the service from Joel. He says, this is what's, what you're seeing was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Peter, let me remind you, didn't have notes for this. He didn't know this was going to be happening. So he stands up and he, boom, God gives him. He knows what's going on. So again, this, it's amazing how Peter even spoke right away. He says, in the last, this, is, this is long ago what spoke, was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. 
even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and the signs in the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark, the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So read this out loud with me, just this statement, because this is significant in this passage, all right? One, two, three. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. One more time. I will pour out my spirit on all people. That's what God said in Joel, but now he's doing this. He's pouring out his spirit on all people. And God pours out a lot in the Bible. A lot of times we read that God poured out his anger on people for their wickedness. But he also pours out his grace for this situation. And it appears other times in the New Testament, God pours out his spirit on these people. And it's not just this spiritual experience. It was a world changing because it's nine o'clock in the morning. So think about these disciples before Yes, they had abandoned Jesus. They had kind of misunderstood things, even to the point of this. They didn't know what was going on. And then this happens, and then go through the rest of the book of Acts. They they changed their own world. I mean, we're sitting in church today because of what they did after this. The religion just didn't die. So there was a significant point where something happened to them, and then timid people became bold Fearful people took risks because they knew what the Spirit of God was doing in them. So Jesus, so you have the wind, you have the tongues, you have the fire. And whatever you conclude, because some people try to make different theology out of some of these. Something supernatural happened to these people. Something came down from heaven and invaded them and they were changed forever. Now, I read this, and it seems as if when you read it, this is, this is it's a supernatural event, but it's not meant just for those special people. And I'm not saying we all need to have a 9 o'clock in the morning experience, but it seems like, uh, and it seems pretty clear, actually. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts especially and later that God pours out his spirit on us, and the other term that's used is we're filled with his spirit. So this happened in a dramatic way. And if you go back to the Old Testament, remember what I said about the harvest and the expectation of the celebrating Pentecost. I won't read the whole sermon, I'm not, but the, what happens next is Peter preaches a long sermon. Um, and then 3,000 people began to follow Jesus that day. I mean, that's a pretty massive number of people. And it's even massive given the fact they had no public address system. There was no lighting. They had no uh, pre, pre-event publicity. It wasn't like it was an event they planned. It was something God did. Peter stood up and just spoke, kind of rehearsing what Jesus said, what had happened followers of Jesus and who he was. And it says 3,000 people then became followers of Jesus on this day of Pentecost. And that's referred to as the birthday of the church. So I've been a pastor now for, I don't know, 30 years, 31 years, something like that. So I've been a pastor for 1,500 plus Sundays. And 
I, I, when I think about the book of Acts, I always think, is this, is this something God wants to do? Again, maybe not a 9 o'clock, this kind of dramatic experience, but it seems like there's a real change in these people. And I never want to, and I would say this to you, don't ever lose the expectation and the hope that God can do something great in your life in a supernatural way. I'm not advocating for supernatural goofiness. I'm not advocating for, like, craziness. I'm advocating for be open, be waiting, in a sense, be counting the days till God does something in your life. And the minute you stop expecting God to do something in your life, then the rest of your life, or my life, would simply be like riding an exercise bike, not going anywhere, but you're holding on until Jesus comes back. So Jesus told them to expect something, wait and expect. So should we expect something? Should I expect 61 years old? Should I expect something supernatural to happen to me in the next days, weeks, months, or years? I sure hope so. But we don't know what that looks like. We don't know when it's going to happen. And it may be something as simple as God speaking to you in a very clear way, but you know it's supernatural. It may be something more miraculous like somebody being healed. But the book of Acts is the story. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but some people refer to it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. So we have this sign up here about honoring the Holy Spirit. I hope every day of your life and my life we honor the Holy Spirit, which simply would be having this expectancy of what he can do in our lives today or tomorrow or the next day or next week. You can't make it happen. You can't kind of manipulate the Holy Spirit. You can't. I was in a service one time with a friend of mine. This was years ago. And he was kind of uh, trying to think of the right word to say that would be kind. He was just kind of doing aerobics almost during the worship. And I finally said to him, he was like up at night. I finally said, what are you doing? So I'm trying to work up the Holy Spirit. And I was like, you don't have to work it up. I mean, I didn't say that to him because he was just jumping up and down. We, have, we can expect it. You can't manipulate it. The best illustration I've heard is, um, I have, uh, is about surfing. I've never surfed in my life. I probably never will. I know I won't. All right. Uh, maybe in heaven I will. But I do know this. A good surfer knows how to recognize a good wave. They don't create the wave. They don't get on their surfboard and paddle really fast and then stand up and say, I'm surfing. They wait for the wave, but they can't create it. But they can watch for it. They can expect it. And they can be ready the moment they see that wave to get up. They can prepare themselves to get up on the board, balance the right way, whatever they're supposed to do. I don't know. But they can't create it. But they can watch for it. So let that be kind of a picture for you and for me. What does it mean for you to watch for the Holy Spirit to do something? In in a day that might seem ordinary to you. Jesus didn't tell them when. He said, just wait. And part of the sense of waiting is also watching. So go about your daily life. Eat meals. Go to work. Go to bed. Watch TV. Whatever. But don't ever let the sense of waiting and watching fall off your screen. Because you never know when Jesus might do something. You never know when the Holy Spirit might not 
do something. He might say something to you. He might want you to do something. Don't ever stop waiting and watching for that. Because if we stop, if we stop, if I stop expecting the Holy Spirit to do something supernatural, then we simply become religious people. We're no longer followers of Jesus. There's no, there's no adventure or risk in that. In the next few weeks, what, I, what we're going to be doing is I'm going to look at different, different individuals whose lives changed the moment after Pentecost, whether it's Philip, uh, Stephen who gets stoned, Peter. We're going to look at how these, these people who were somewhat timid and a little bit confused about what Jesus is doing, all of a sudden they become bold they hear what God's telling them to do. They do what God's telling them to do. They risk their life. Some of them actually get killed because they believe that something unique had happened to them and something had unique happened. Something supernatural had happened to them. So watch, wait, and hope for what God can do in your life. And it may... It may not be a dramatic thing as you might want it to be. It might be a dramatic thing. It will be a supernatural thing. Because the nature of Christianity, it's a supernatural religion. It's not a cultural religion. It's not a political religion. It's not a moral behavior religion. Christianity at its core is supernatural, which means the unknown world invading the visible world of your life and my life is to be the norm. Whether it's God saying something to you, God giving you the power, because the Bible said that, that Jesus said, wait till the power comes on you. Maybe you need the power to forgive somebody. Maybe you need the power to, to be generous beyond what is humanly understandable for you. So power is not when Jesus said, wait for the power to come on you. It's not just power to heal people or do miracles. That's part of it. But these people also had the power to be Unusually supernaturally generous, unusually supernaturally forgiving, unusually and supernaturally risky. So don't expect drama, except the drama that's inside of you, because the Holy Spirit will always do something that will knock you out of life that you're living. And like I said, I'm 61, and I never want to, I never want to retire from following the Holy Spirit. I hope none of us do. I never want to retire from expecting God to do something. We never should. So <clears throat> I'll finish with this. There's a, there's a uh, phrase in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah. Um, and he says this when he's talking about that he's hungering for God to do something. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. God, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. God, would you come down into my life and do something supernatural? Again, we can't make it happen, but we can ask for it. God, I want you to do something in my life. So the, the, best, the best way, I think, to pray for anybody, and I, I do this a lot because it's easy and short. I'll give you two phrases if you don't know how to pray for somebody. If I don't know how to pray for Natalie... I don't know what's really going on in her life, but I can pray, Jesus, pour out your spirit on Natalie. That kind of solves whatever she needs. Or I can say, Jesus, fill Natalie with your Holy Spirit. So if you want to pray for your kids, you don't know how to pray for them. You want to pray for your neighbor, you don't know how to pray for them. You want to pray for yourself. 
Just, Jesus, pour out your spirit on me. Jesus, fill me. Either one of those phrases, pour out your spirit, fill me with your Holy Spirit. That prayer alone will solve most of the issues we're trying to figure out in life. If we let the spirit take control of us or we pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on somebody else. So, um, then we're going to take communion this morning and so... We do it every Sunday with Exodus, and you'll notice the tablecloth is red. Red is the color of Pentecost. So uh, I think the colors uh, historically were because people couldn't read. So the colors kind of let them know visually what was going on and things like that. So I know you can all read. But go to the last slide now. Because this, uh, this is what Peter, when he preached his sermon that became this mass conversion experience of 3,000 people, it's longer. You can read it in Acts 2. But this, was a, this was a significant part. He kind of told the story of Jesus. He told the story of his death and resurrection. They all knew it. This is 50 days later in Jerusalem. But this is what he says in, toward the end of his sermon. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And it was after this, they said, what, do we, what, what should we do? And that's what he said, believe 3,000 people. So we take communion every Sunday because Jesus says when he served this to the disciples, this would have been 52 days before Pentecost. Every year they did the Passover meal. He said, when you eat this bread, remember me. Again, it was actually mirroring back to Passover, the Passover bread. When you drink this cup, remember me. When you drink this cup, you're pronouncing the forgiveness of sins. So What do we remember? I like to suggest things every Sunday. So one of the things Jesus told the disciples was he told them before he was arrested and crucified, he told them about the Holy Spirit. He's going to come. He's going to speak to you. He's going to tell you what I want you to hear. So let me encourage you to remember this morning what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He would bring power. He would speak to us. And he would comfort us. So as we take this into us, this, the, the life of Jesus, and we take this into us, um, let's remember what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, that we cannot live life without him. At least not the life that we're meant to live, full of God. So Aaron's going to come up and lead us, and then we'll take care of it. Let me pray. So Jesus, we're, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for your life, your death, and your resurrection. And I don't say that in a way that's uh, trying to minimalize that because it's the most significant event of human history. But we're also grateful that you sent us your Holy Spirit. You taught us about the Holy Spirit. You sent us the Holy Spirit. And we're grateful that uh, he lives in us. Every single person here who has welcomed the spirit of Jesus, we have the supernatural spirit in us. Don't always, know, don't always even know exactly what that means, except we know there's power accessible to us. We want to be those kind of people, but Jesus, you and you alone have made that possible for us because the spirit is sent by you because of your death and your resurrection. So we were and taught and promised about the Holy Spirit who is going to come to give us power, and life.
And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.